Jesus uh, is in this conversation uh, with his followers. He's in this conversation with his followers. And um, as I told you before, 13 is really the break there that Jesus no longer talks to the crowds. He only discusses matters with those uh, most uh, personal and intimate followers. And in uh, doing that, I, I've had this thought occur for a friend of mine had said uh, that uh, it might be important not just to believe in Jesus, but here's the idea of believing what Jesus believed. And you know, have you ever heard this? I, I know when I was a kid, uh, we would talk at times or, we would dis- or when I was younger, we'd discuss things and they'd say, well, well what does your church believe? And we'd uh, say, well, we believe this. Well, why do you believe that? Because our pastor told us so. <laughs> if, you really, if it really came down, you go, uh, because our pastor told us, you know, and we trust him or her, you know, and, and, and I guess that's okay to a degree. But, you know, uh, it's important for us to come to our own beliefs. It's, it's important for us to know that we believe this because we understand it and we know what it is. And it matters to us because it's how we're going to live our lives. I think it's important, for me at least, to, uh, to think about what did Jesus believe? Well, what did he think about? What, what did he believe was true and, and, and right uh, for living? And so I want to look here today in John chapter 13 under that topic of believing what Jesus believed. Uh, somebody asked me after class the other day, you know, that, that there are lots of ramifications about this because Jesus, uh, as fully God and, and fully human, uh, says emptied himself of his God powers in terms of using them for himself. He could still heal. He could still uh, understand what people thought, but he never used his powers uh, for himself. That's an interesting theological notion. It's found there in Colossians. It's called the kenosis. The idea that Jesus was really a human being and that it was his life as we see it that if we understand what he believed, maybe our lives could be transformed. I had a person say, well, you know, he's Jesus. He's got something. But, but, but look at him. Look at his life when he says, I don't do anything but what I hear the Father telling me. Anybody do that last week? <laughs> Anybody live like that? You didn't do anything but that which the Father told you. Uh, you know, this is important, I think, because if Jesus is demonstrating and showing us how he lives and what he does, it might be instructive for us to say, can I or can we begin to believe what he believed? And if we believed what he believed, would it make a difference in the way we lived? My, my, you know what my thought is? Yes, you know, if we believed what Jesus believed, and if we believed that, would it perhaps change or adjust or help in the way we live. So that's where I want to go. John chapter 13. In verse 33, we ended at 32 last week when he says, As little children, I am with you a little while longer. You'll seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, I want to guide you to this. If you have some questions or something, a large class like this, I know there are people that might have some ideas and I can't handle a lot of questions like that, but if you go to Socrative.com on your iPhone, your iPad, whatever you got out there, you know, whatever you're doing your grocery list on right now, and... (laughs) 
um, go, when you go there to the student login, it doesn't cost you anything to have to leave any information, but it's Socrative.com, student login, go to room 50168, and there's a couple of questions there. I'll kind of be monitoring this uh, as we go along, and if there's something I think we need to deal with, I'll, uh, I'll do my best. Uh, so let's look here, and it's all anonymous. I don't know who you are. I'm tracking a couple of you, but not many. You know, uh, it's all anonymous. I'm not going to check your IP address. You know, until tomorrow, and uh, once I find out who you are, let's wait. Uh, so anyway, I want to look at this this idea, this conversation. Number one, Jesus's belief about his unique work. Now you know I'm doing some of this study and working through this, and I think. Uh, you know, I'm looking at this idea about Jesus. He said, no, notice here, he says, I'm with you a little longer. I love the, the, the word that he uses. New American Standard says little children or my little children. The, the Greek word there, techna, uh, is, uh, technia, is, is, the, is the idea of a little child uh, that is dependent on their parents. And Jesus saw his unique work to these men, if you will, who were in fact little children. Jesus said on a lot of occasions, he said, look, in one sense, my unique work is this, that my kingdom and my, my, my program is only for those who are like little children. You know, he said, unless you become as a little child, you can't be a part of my unique work and kingdom. And you've heard this before. We've talked about it, you know, before that, that children are dependent. They're still amazed. You know, I, I, I watch when I watch kids, you know, uh, a friend of mine said that we realized a few Christmases ago that next Christmas we're getting them all boxes for gifts, <laughs> right? Pull the toy out, play with it 10 minutes and start playing with the box. You know, think, well, just buy them boxes, you know, make them nice. Children have that sense of amazement and wonder, you know, in, in, in Jesus' unique work, he's, he's working with people to say, look, you need to be like a little child. You ever get around people that have been, well, you know, I've heard a lot of sermons before and this one isn't any different and I hadn't heard anything new. And you think, man, that's not very what? Childlike. Do you still have any amazement? Is God still able to surprise you? Is he ever able, if you will, in his unique work to bring a sense of amazement? You probably know the story by Gandhi. You know, uh, Mahatma Gandhi was wrestling uh, with the issue of whether to become a follower of Jesus. And he, he, was, he was interested in Jesus and, and he had great admiration for him. And so one night he decided to go to a church. And he's, he reports in his memoirs that as he was in that church, he said he had never seen such sleepy and dreary and unengaged people in his life. Now, it's probably me preaching or, you know, something like that. <laughs> Often said, if I'm teaching and anybody goes to sleep, Somebody needs to wake the teacher up, okay? <clears throat> right? That's too painful for you. <laughs> yeah, for me, I mean, it's too painful for me. Yeah. Yeah. So Gandhi says he saw these people with no amazement, no sense of wonder, and he walked out and said, I'm done. I'll continue to follow the path I'm on. Je Jesus is saying, you, you guys are little children. This is my unique work for these people in that day and in our day. I just want to encourage you to think about what are you participating in? How are you living that looks like a child that is dependent on their parents, dependent on God, and has a sense of amazement that God can still surprise you? You hadn't got it all figured out. You hadn't got it all nailed down. And so Jesus says this, I, 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 you're going to seek me, but you can't go 
where I'm going. Now, there's a lot of comment here. I want to, I want to move through it. But, but the idea here is that Jesus is saying to these guys, I'm going somewhere. You don't really completely understand this. But where I'm going, you can't. You can't. One, one commentator made this observation. He said, one of the reasons these guys can't go where he's going, and we understand this to be the cross. We understand this to be, you can't go where I'm, you can't do what I'm doing. And you know, I, I wrote in my notes, I said, uh, when we think about this, that, that Jesus is saying, I'm doing something that you can't do. It's not hard. It's not difficult. You can't. You can't go where I'm going. When I read that and I'm studying that, thinking about that, I thought, you know, I need to be reminded of this every once in a while. Because I have a tendency, I don't know if you do, I have a tendency to try to be my own savior sometimes. Anybody else? I think if I can just be good enough and I can do enough things and if I can learn enough and if I can study enough and if I can pray enough, I can kind of be my own savior. In fact, when I sin or fail, it is pretty hard on me because I think, you know, I thought I was better. You ever, you ever had that conversation with yourself? You know, uh, you know, I've been a Christian a long time. I can't believe I did that. I can't, I can't believe that happened to me. I, I, I don't understand. Listen, that's because we often operate like we're our own savior. Talking with a buddy of mine a few months ago, uh, you know, it may frighten you that I've sinned in the last couple of months, but, uh, you know, it's not every day, but, you know, I have failed. And I was talking to a buddy of mine about it, and I was pretty tore up about it and pretty worked up about it. <laughs> this guy says to me, I hate when people do this. He doesn't even have a doctorate. I don't know why I'm talking to him. That's right. I don't even know why. I tell him I'm a doctor that has a lot of degrees, but no temperature. And... Uh, <clears throat> <clears throat> it's an old but a goodie. Uh, and he said to me, he said, well, I guess this just proves you still need a savior. Ouch. <laughs> right? I mean, you know, you can study and go to college and you can be a professor and you can teach the Bible. Do you, do you, I just want to remind you that what Jesus did for you and me, we can't. It isn't that it's just hard or like it's going to take a lot of time. And I, I just wrote my notes. I said, we need to be reminded of this from time to time. We forget that we can't do enough to deal with our sin, to save ourselves, or to bring us in right relationship with God other than to respond to his offer. He said, you can't go where I'm going. That makes sense to me. <clears throat> Uh, one other commentator <clears throat> made this observation that he, he might be saying in this in another respect, you can't go because you're not morally qualified. I mean, what are these guys doing the last couple of nights of Jesus' earthly ministry? Praying, being nice. What are they doing? They're arguing. <clears throat> they're, they're, who's going to be the greatest? You know, they send their mother to say, hey, you know, when you come into your kingdom, if you let my boy sit by you. You know, the, the, these guys are morally disqualified. This is going to take selfless love at a level that no other person has ever done. They, 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 they can't do this. You, you can't do this in, in the fact that you don't have the moral qualifications to do this. You're not good enough for this. Yes. When will they be able to do it? Next week. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm being facetious. Yeah, no, they never will. 
Well, that's he's talking to Peter. I'm going to do that next week. I'm going to keep you in suspense for a week. <clears throat> yeah. There is a question. He's right in 1336 where Jesus says, you can't go with me now, but you will later. You will later. I want to suggest that Jesus may have something else in mind because he breaks right into 14 about I'm going to prepare a place for you. So it's a possibility. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not, but I, I, I'm not prepared to answer that yet. Okay? Or I could make up something real fast. <clears throat> if you want me to, I could make something up real fast. right? No, no, I, <clears throat> I have that in my notes. No, I have that in my notes that I'm saying, okay, what's the difference here? What's the difference here? We'll do that. Yeah. Thank you for exposing that uh, failure there <clears throat> in my notes. No, it's in my notes. <clears throat> but it's next week. Yeah, pass them around. Here you go. Let's see. Right. I'm talking real loud right now because some of y'all went to the concert last night. So, huh? What? Uh, but this idea of Jesus going to the cross of dealing with what they are morally are unqualified for. And I want to say that the great theme here, I think that Jesus is dealing with, he said, I'm going to do something that you can't. And I want to suggest two things. I'm going to bring this in and, and go on. That Jesus is saving these men and us from the power, I'm sorry, from the penalty of sin. Hope you write this down. I, this is what Jesus is dealing. He, he's, he's saving us or he's going there to deal with the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin. That we've sinned and there's a penalty involved. So he's, he, but the second thing is throughout this, I think Jesus will show, he's going to be dealing with the power of sin. The power of sin. I'm going to do something for you and in my life that will give you power over sin. This is something I don't hear a lot about. I mean, we, we all understand that Jesus died to save us from our sins and to pay the penalty. But is Jesus qualified and able to do something to save us from the power of sin right now in our lives? Is he, is he able to save us from the power of sin? Some, some scholars would say, finally, that Jesus will save us someday from the presence of sin. You know, be gone when we're in heaven or when we're with Jesus. That, that, that Je I'm, I'm going to do something at the cross that will save you from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, ultimately from the presence of sin. Ultimately from the presence of sin. Jesus says, this is my work, not yours. This is something I can do. You can't. This is something I'm able. And I, I just want to remind somebody here or myself or whoever that really in some way or another, we got to be reminded occasionally that Jesus is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. I, I, I forget that. I, I get into my own saving of myself. I think more knowledge, more information, more understanding, Go to a conference. Listen to something. It's all good stuff. But I think it has to come back to this understanding that this special work is for children who are dependent that know that Jesus' work is something done for them we cannot do. I'm reminded of a story when my dad got sick. I told you a few years ago. Uh, we, we went to a, to, a, to, a, to a surgeon, good guy. And uh, my dad had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And so my dad just finds a doctor. My, my dad just believed that every doctor was equally qualified. He grew up in an age when, before the internet and uh, before we could see the grades. You know, <laughs> um, you know? Uh, 
one of my doctor buddies always tells me, you know what they call a guy that makes C's in medical school? Doctor. <laughs> so we, we went to this guy, and he was a well-respected guy. And, and I remember we're sitting there, and my dad is talking to him. And my dad is really old school. He just says, when can we have surgery? And the guy says, well, I'd like to look at your x-rays first. <laughs> my dad says, well, I have pancreatic cancer. You know, that's enough, right, for you to know. Uh, and I'm just kind of, I just st standing there with him and trying to calm him down a little bit. And he would have had surgery that afternoon, you know. Uh, and so we're talking, and as we're discussing things, I'm listening and, and trying to be supportive to my dad. You can imagine both, we're like each other. It's like two bulls in a china closet. We're together. And I finally said to the doctor, I said, look, I really appreciate what you said, and I'm not trying to be rude here or insulting, uh, but I have a question I'd like to ask you. Could you tell me how often you perform pancreatic surgery on people a year? I mean, how many times do you do that a year where you're actually working on this kind of surgery? He went, oh, probably uh, two or three times. Okay. You got any other questions, Dad? Nope, nope, I'm good. So we get in the car, driving home. So what'd you think? I'm serious, this is word for word. I think that guy's a smart guy. <laughs> yes. Did you notice when I asked that question how many times he does his surgery? Yeah, he does a couple, three times a year. You're going to see a specialist. <laughs> you know, we're going to find a guy that does two or three pancreatic cancer surgeries a week before we let anybody touch you. Now, when we did that, my dad later in the surgical consultation realized that what he had was even, it was not surgically possible. Couldn't be done. So we're driving home. My dad just thought, we're talking. I didn't say anything. I'm trying to be supportive, you know, supportive. My dad said, hmm, I think if I would have had surgery with that other guy, he would have killed me. <laughs> I said, well, Dad, I don't think you did it on purpose, you know, unless we offered him money. Unless we offered him money. You know, I don't think you did it on purpose. You know, listen, I, I just want to drill this into your brain. Jesus is a specialist. He is doing something you can't. I can't. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how long you've been following Jesus. There's often times that we have to be reminded, I'm doing something for you. You can't do. You can't go where I'm going. You can't do what I'm doing. This is beyond what you can do. I, I, I think for me, I've got a little bit of some gene in me there that tries to become my own savior after a while, to be good enough, to try hard enough, to accomplish enough things. Instead of, again, leaning into So I want to ask you this week to consider doing this. What if you use the word specialist in a conversation, an email, or a text today? I'm just, I'm just trying to get this into your muscles. Allow this to remind you that Jesus is the specialist we all need to be our Savior from the penalty of sin and the power. He, he's the specialist. You, you and I have to just surrender ourselves to Him and say, I... I just have to trust you and what you can do. Not my feelings, not my accomplishments, not my knowledge, not my understanding, not even my, not even my determination to follow you. 
I, you're going to have to do something here that I can't do. I, I just want to drive that in our hearts this week because of the notion here that we often have that we're going to save ourselves. We're going to be good enough. We're going to do enough. Instead of hearing what Jesus said, I'm doing something. Okay, let's go second. Number two, or the second one about what Jesus believed. A belief about what has changed. Notice what he says in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another, even as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Now, it's interesting here that, that there's something that's changed. Now, you'll notice here in this passage, Jesus says you're to love one another as I have loved you. Because in the Old Testament, the standard of love is what? To love others what? as you love yourself. That's the standard in the Old Testament. It's Leviticus 19.18 that, that you're to love your neighbor. Now, that was always the discussion with Jesus and the religious leaders. Who then is my neighbor? You know, let's, let's get real technical here. But, but the notion here is that the old law or the law is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this isn't in my notes, but I'm going to say it anyway. I've got a good friend. He doesn't go to church here. So everybody relax. Here we go. I told him one time. I just said, listen, I'm not being facetious here, but I am being serious. Please don't love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do you know there are people that don't love themselves? Now, I, I, I realize we're all infected with selfishness. You know, that's kind of the original sin. But there are a lot of people who have some kind of hate for themselves, shame, a sense of, of never being enough. There are all kinds of reasons for that. But, but when we really realize that, that we can't love others, even if we don't have some regard for ourselves, self-denial isn't self-destruction. I no longer exist. You know, I, I, I no longer have any needs. The new standard, Jesus is saying, look, I want you to love them as I loved you. Now, I want, I want to pick this apart just a little bit. You know, that's what theologians do. Here, here we go. As I have loved you. It's no longer the degree of love is to be measured by our love for ourselves. But I just want to say again that, that some of us, that's even a difficult thing. For some of us, that's even a very difficult thing to do. Because we don't really love or like ourselves. Jesus said the degree here. Now, you know, the rabbis had a statement about this. They, uh, Hillel uh, made this statement. He said, this is the standard. Whatever is hateful to you, don't do it to your fellow man. This is the whole law. The rest is explanation. In other words, in other words, it's not positive. It's not love. It's whatever you don't want people to do to you, don't do it to them. That's living in some kind of negative notion that I'm just not going to uh, do what, other, what, what, what I don't want them to do to me. Jesus says, as I have loved you. Think about it. How did he love them? What, what, what were some of the words that come to your mind when you think of that in, in terms of Jesus' love to these disciples? Unconditional. Unconditional? Okay, what else? Patient. I mean, think about some of the things he did with them. He, what? Sacrificial. You know, I'm reminded at times like when they were out on the boat, out on the boat and, and they're out in the water and... Uh, Peter uh, cries out, Lord, help. And the word there is immediately, Jesus responded. 
You know, Jesus loving them as he loved them was that he was attentive. He, he was there on the spot. What else? Think of how he's acted with these guys and operated. He served them. We look back here in 13. He washed their feet, their dirty, rotten feet. He did that. It, it might be helpful for you and I as we go through the Gospels to start saying, look, let me notice here how Jesus loves these guys and what he does. Listen, the very fact that he spent time with them, the very fact that he invested his life in them to say he, he was willing. We spent some time with some friends the other day and I, and I sent them a note. I said, hey, thank you for the gift of your time to be with us. Aren't you always thankful when somebody takes time to be with you? Yeah. That Jesus loved them by being with them. He was sacrificial. He was unconditional. He was, I love this word, patient. I don't know about you, but I'm telling you, I think on the last two nights of his life, when these guys are fighting, I say, time out. I'm going to get another group, <laughs> right? This time, I'm not going to Galilee. I'm going to Judea. I'm going to find some real guys this time. I mean, I, I, I'm amazed at Jesus's patience and his kindness to these guys who on the very end of his life are acting in such a way that would certainly have given him pause to think, are these, are you sure these are the guys? You know, this is that conversation. There's another thing here, though, I think I just want to pull out. That's, I would say this if you're taking notes here, that this love, this new love is changed in degree. Degree. It's as I've loved you. It's in degree. I'm going to back up again here on this. And I think in this phrase, there is a change in sequence. It's not only degree, it's sequence. He's saying to them, I want you to love as I've loved you, which assumes what? He's loved them. He's loved them. We talk about, I want you to love as I, okay, so Jesus, I saw you do that. I'm going to do this. Here's back to this original notion about not loving ourselves. The real challenge here may be to love as I've loved you. How has Jesus loved you? That's the critical question. I mean, it's important to these guys because they're going to, out of the sequence that they've been loved by him first, and now they're to do what? Love others like that. But, but the question is, can we just sometimes not see this as another requirement? Another commandment? Another requirement? Hey, you got to love. But wait, a minute, wait, wait a minute. Back up. The sequence is, I've loved you. I've loved you, Cliff. I've loved you, Bob. I've loved you first. Can I tell you something? I, th I think as I've worked with people and served in ministry over the years, people who haven't, an awareness of the love of God for them find it very difficult to love others. It's just the old adage, you can't give what you don't have. You can't give what you don't have. And we talk about it. I think it's important that we should love other people. I'm thankful for what we're dealing with here at church on the fruit of the Spirit. This is, again, not something we generate. This isn't something we create. This is something we participate. Get it now. It's not something we create or generate. It's something in which we 
participate. If we don't participate, if we, if we don't have this experience, this under, and I, I'm not trying to make this about feelings. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the genuine awareness of the love of God to us. Can I give you a verse here? Just, just flip over there in Romans. This is a verse I've been meditating on and just, I'm just asking God, God, make it more real. It, it's been real. <clears throat> Notice here in chapter five, did I give you a chapter number? Oh, say, oh, that's how I keep you going. Chapter five in Romans. Paul, Paul makes this uh, statement about we're, being, we're right with God by faith. We're right with God by faith. And he gives a, great, a whole list of, of, of privileges like we have peace with God and we have hope and all this kind of thing. And then notice he says, verse 5, and hope does not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. I've been thinking about that. That the love of God poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. You know, this thing about following Jesus is getting simpler and simpler to me all the time. From this standpoint. That I know that I can't generate, I can't manufacture this because it's a gift from God. That the Holy Spirit is to pour out the love of God into our hearts. Do you find it difficult to love other people? Do you find it like it's another responsibility or another challenge or another duty? Or do we take time? Maybe that's the way to do it. I don't, I'm not trying to give you a formula here. But it's, it's getting simpler where, where I say, Lord, I need to know the love of God poured out in my heart. I need to know the, the, the love of God poured out in my heart. I don't want to do something out here to try to make it real in here. I want this to start from the inside. That I'm going to love others as you have loved me. Now, here's what I ask you to do. I think that it's happening, but we're so busy in life, we don't even notice it anymore. I have a practice every once in a while when I get like this, when I, when I just sense maybe distance or whatever from God, and, you know, I sense that occasionally. Or more than occasionally. I'll sit down and I'll begin to write the things that I believe are the, the kindnesses and the acts of love to God to me. You know, right on top of that, I'm not trying to be hallmark and all this kind of stuff. Right on the top. I don't know how God ever convinced Becky to marry me. Don't know. She's a wonderful person. She has no judgment. Yeah. She married me. <clears throat> I, she's wonderful. No judgment. But that'll get back to her. You know, I, I sometimes think about the love of God expressed to us through this community called Crossings. That we're a part. The privilege to be a part of that. I think about the the, 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 the friendships, the relationships that God has brought into our lives through the people of God. You know, the body of Christ is not just Jesus sitting somewhere up in heaven. This is the body of Christ. Do you know that Jesus sometimes loves you 
through other people? Did you know that, right? That, that the, the, the love of God is poured out in our hearts, but sometimes the love of God will put its arm around you. And sometimes the love of God will walk up to you and say, hey, you know, I've been praying for you, been thinking about it. How are you doing? That, that until we have been loved, until we, and I'm not trying to be narcissistic and, and, you know, kind of selfish about this. I'm simply saying I've met enough people in my life and ministry to know that this is a big deal. Is that right? It's a big deal that we talk a lot about the love of God. But when you get people one-on-one and you sit them down and you talk about your own life, you go, eh, I don't, I don't know. I, I think he does. <laughs> Maybe on my good days. I can't tell you the number of people I've talked to over the years that if we just pull the cover off of it and just say, man, there are days when I wonder if he even loves me. Here's what we do. We pray, Lord, help me to understand and experience that you have poured the love of God out in my heart through the Holy Spirit. I read a story some time ago about a lady who felt so inadequate in life that every time her husband brought her a gift, she just dismissed it as, well, you're just a wonderful person. It's not me. It's not me. Have you ever known people like this that no matter what you do, it gets because there's something in their core that says, I'm not lovable. I've done too much wrong. I'm too bad. This notion that you can't love, I'm trying to parse words here. You can't love as he's loved you if you don't understand he has loved you. Right? I'm not just trying to parse words here. I'm trying to look at the reality here that you can't love as he has loved you unless you can say, I, I do know that I'm loved. I'm not talking about feelings here. I'm talking about the reality. That Jesus has already done something for you you can't do for yourself. He knows that. You don't have to argue with him about it. He's already done something you can't do for yourself. And his love was poured out in a, on a cross. That's a historical fact. You can't change that. You can't adjust it. You can't make it different. It happened. It proves the love of God. Now, what we need is for God to pour that love out into hearts. You know what? Here's what I'm doing. Maybe you ought to do this. Maybe you ought to ask God to make that real to you. Maybe you ought to say this week, hey, that's what it says, that the love of God's been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. God, make that more real to me. Make that more a fact of my everyday reality. Instead of what I do, and I've done, and you've probably done, I just go through life thinking, well, you know, God's just mad at me. God's just upset with me. God's just ticked off with me. Instead of knowing that it's the love of God that's been poured out. So let me ask you to consider this. This is that new thing Jesus is talking about. What if this week you practice loving others? Start with your family. Those are the people that will be those shocked. <laughs> yeah. They will. As you see Jesus loving the disciples of God, or this week, rehearse at the end of each day a way that you see Jesus loving you. This has got to get more conscious for me. 
This has got to get more real to me by rehearsing. What I mean is, at the end of the day, how did Jesus love you? Through his spirit. What did he do? Did he guide you or direct you? Did he prompt you? Did he remind you of something? Did he, did he, did he, did he bring something to mind? You thought, oh, I needed that. Or even did he correct you? Did he say, I love you so much, I am going to correct you here. I love you so much, Cliff. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I want you to deal with this little issue right here or this big issue. <laughs> I want to deal with that. So how does he do that during the day? Now, I'm, I'm going to hurry here. This is my big point too, so we'll be done by noon. No. <laughs> Jesus' belief about the distinguishing, and you know what it is, it already says this, but I want to I bring some other things to bear. When, when Jesus said, and by this, the antecedent to that pronoun is love as, one, as I've loved you. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. And you know what? There were lots of disciples in Jesus' day. There's some really funny stories in the Talmud. You ought to read them sometimes. I can't even repeat them in public about how they practiced and mimicked life. Uh, there were lots of disciples. And they were identifiable. Oh, you're from Hillel, or you're from Shema, or you're Rabbi Akiva, or you know, whatever. It's because of this, uh, some of this, and I'll, I'll show you a little deal here. Um, when we went to Israel last year, or a couple years, whatever it was, we saw a lot of these guys around. And, and if you study a Jewish rabbinical teaching, there are certain things that people wear. I, I did say this, and I don't mean to be unkind, but I thought, some Jewish person centuries ago should have figured out that white is a better color in the Middle East than black. <laughs> I'm just saying. That's all I'm saying. It draws a little heat. <laughs> but Jewish people, especially uh, uh, Orthodox, they have these long curls, the guys. They wear these hats. The fedoras, or the, I can't even pronounce it. It's a fur hat. You've seen those, those big fur hats? When we were there, we saw a guy. I'm not kidding you. I, I couldn't get my camera fast enough. We're going to the airport, and there's a rabbi on a bicycle. This sounds like a joke, doesn't it? <laughs> there was a rabbi on a bicycle. <clears throat> that sounds like a joke. He's got this big fur hat on. It's a box. Like, you know, that's the Russian Orthodox uh, typically identifies them. And he's got a bicycle helmet on top of it. Safety first. <laughs> you can tell some of the different groups by their hats. I don't have time to get on. By their hats, their different designs. Uh, you'll see this guy, this is the prayer shawl wears under, underneath his jacket. Has four corners. You know, there are all kinds of distinguishing marks among Jewish rabbis and people. You can say, oh, that group's from there. We were at the Wailing Wall and there were some guys with some brown-like sacks on them. I thought it was sackcloth and ashes. I thought maybe they're repenting, but they were having too much fun for that. It couldn't have been that. There was another sect or group that that's how they dress. Jesus says, you know how people are going to tell your mind? Because you love each other. I wish that was easy. <laughs> you know what's the problem with the church? There are people in it. <laughs> Yeah, that's the problem with the church. We could get all the people out. It'd be great. It'd be like heaven on earth. <laughs> it's people. I, I just, I don't want to talk about sloppy agape. It's just some 
goofy thing. When I talk about the word love, I, I always talk about holy love. Because holy love is the kind of love of a parent that makes distinctions. When your kid screams to have ice cream for breakfast, you don't just give in. I love you. You say, no, I'm not going to do that. We sometimes, when we talk about love, we tend to just go on the sentimental side. It's just all feeling and like that. Listen, sometimes to speak truth to a person is the most loving thing you could ever do and the hardest. Let me tell you about this word, though, agape. We, you've heard about it, I know. But let me, let me tell you, Dennis Kinlaw, who's a former professor at Asbury Seminary, has done a lot of research in this area, and I've been reading on this, and he, he makes this observation. The word agape that Jesus uses here, and uses that in the New Testament, is rarely used in classical Greek. Homer, Jethro, no, not Homer. <laughs> See, i got to stop that. Homer... Uh, you know, uh, all these great, you know, Thedice, all these great people, they didn't use this word. He's eros, phileo, and sturgia. You study this in the ancient, manu- uh, ancient, uh, ancient literature. It may be because in Plato's Symposium, now I'm sounding smarter than I really am right now, but go ahead, think that. <laughs> I've read some of Plato's work. Plato tells in the symposium that the greatest philosopher perhaps of all time was Socrates. And Socrates was taught by an elderly lady that love was something that the greatest of the gods cannot experience. This is what Socrates taught in the great Greek symposium, or in the great Greek, that that the God, the great gods could not love. Couldn't do it. Because, she told Socrates, he believed he taught it to Plato, that love means desire and a need that we have that we're finding fulfilled in another person. You know, I, I talk to students all the time. I say, be careful when this guy tells you he loves you, does he just want you? Right? When Becky and I were dating, I'm serious, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but I remember the most powerful moment in our dating life was when she came home from her parents and she said, we ought to date other people. I knew she'd been with her parents. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, okay, are you telling me you want to date other people? No, I'm telling you, you. And I said, look, Beck, I'm a big boy. I told her this, I'm a big boy and I don't need you to tell me who I need to date. If you're telling me you want to date other people, that's fine for you. And I said this, and it shocked me because I wasn't thinking this, but I went home. But I said, I want you to know something. I love you, and there isn't anything you can do about it. And if you're telling me that you think there's somebody out there better than me, which, again, is hard to imagine. <laughs> I, did, I didn't say that. I, did, I didn't say that. I thought of it later. If there's somebody out there that you believe can make you happier, she's probably thinking, well, probably now, but no. <laughs> if there's somebody out there, I said to her, I really genuinely want you to find that person. Becky, I really love you. I've lo- I love you like I've never loved anybody in my life. 
You don't have to love me back. It's not easy, God. You, you don't have to love me back. You don't have any control over this. Really, you're, you, you're not. You're not controlling me in this. I love you. And I always will. And it would be terrible for me. But I genuinely want you to find that person that will make you the happiest. When I went back to my dorm, I thought, who was that guy? <laughs> I mean, I'm really not kidding. I'm as, I'm as selfish as anybody else. I said to myself in my room and I said, I believe for the first time in my life, I love somebody. I think it's the first time in my life. I love them. I love her. Because even if it doesn't mean me. See, this is where, this is where Socrates said, the gods can't do this. Because his understanding of love was that I love you because you meet a need in me or you give me something I want and it fulfills that. And he said, the gods cannot have need or imperfection. Therefore, they cannot love. This is the world Jesus is coming into. This is the context. This is the thought life that he's in. And he's saying, listen, you are to love as I have loved you, this great agape. This will be the sign that people will know. Socrates cannot conceive of a God who is concerned about others, even to the disregard of himself. Now, you, you chew on that a little bit because there are several ideas rolling around here. That is God that selfless? Is God that selfless? Is God that willing to love and then says, this is going to be the mark of you guys. This, this is going to be the mark of you. This, I, this can only happen as the Holy Spirit pours his love I'm not talking about sentimentalism. I'm not saying, isn't this wonderful? Let's all hold hands, sing kumbaya, and make s'mores. I'm not talking like that. That's what I get from this stuff all the time. Love, love. Listen, this is ferocious. This is unbelievably powerful. This is something that will rock your world. It's ferocious. It isn't weak. It isn't slim. It isn't just romantic. It's fierce. It says, I love you, even if you don't love me back. You have no control over this. How'd that happen? Because the love of God has poured in our hearts. Yes, somebody. She's saying for the sake of the, uh, the recording now that God gave us a measure of freedom, a free choice. And I believe, you know, you don't have to believe this. God didn't give human beings free choice because you just thought they need free choice. God created a universe with those kind of creatures in which love would be possible, not guaranteed. It's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing to create human beings with a measure of freedom because they may not love him back. It's a dangerous thing to love. Because you may not get love back. But if you have this agape, if we have this agape, the getting back is not what distinguishes it. The, the giving, because the one we love is to be loved. 
I, I just want to say it again. There's a great book, if you want to read about Dennis Kedlaw, called Let's Begin with Jesus. It's a great book. Dennis is one of the greatest Old Testament scholars in the world. That this idea of love is so radical, it's so blowing of people's minds that the Greek gods can't even consider this idea. The God that you love, the God that I love, loves us with no response required. Once we get a hold of that, and that begins to work in our heart, in our life, Jesus' words will be true. This is how people will know. This is how people will know that you're my disciples. They have love one for another. Tertullian, one of the great early church fathers, wrote this back to the Roman government and said this. How they love... He's, he's, he's reporting back to the pagans, to the Romans. He's reporting back. He's saying, how they love one another. And there isn't anything they won't do for each other. I pray you know God like that. I pray you know God's people like that. I pray God can pour His love in our So Lord Jesus... This can get run over with a lot of sentimentality and a lot of, of a romanticism. But this is the core of the gospel. That this God, this agape God, is unlike all the others. That this rocked the world with this understanding of this new reality. May we leave this place today and may we, as we pray, Lord Jesus... Pour into our hearts the love of God through the Holy Spirit in our families' lives, in our children, as we work with our children, with our friends, and all those about us. May it become the distinguishing mark of us in a fierce and powerful way, we pray in Jesus' strong name. Amen.